0: Good morning, everyone. If you can please turn to Isaiah 42, verse 1 to 9. It's on page 622 of the Church Bibles. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will pull their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, he gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you.
1: The second reading is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 21, and you'll find that on page 8 through 7 of the Bibles. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? said to them if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the sabbath will you not take hold of it and lift it out how much more valuable is a person than a sheep therefore it is lawful to do good on the sabbath then he said to the man stretch out your hand so he stretched it out and it was completely restored just as sound as the other but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill jesus Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Well, hello everybody. My name is Nick, if we're yet to meet. I'm one of your pastors here at 10am Neutral Bay. It's a real joy to be here to open the Word and ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you're not good enough? Have you ever felt like you just don't measure up? Like you just, no matter what you do, it's just never quite enough? Have you ever felt that sense of like, I don't know, worthlessness? Might be a word to capture that. Have you ever felt Unworthy? I do. (laughs) I do regularly. Ironically, the longer I spend walking with Jesus, the more and more I realize how unworthy I am, the more that I, I get a glimpse of how beautiful and holy he is, it makes it clearer and clearer that that's not the reality of my soul. And as he continues to like iron out those parts of my life that aren't so great, that seems to be like, great, that's done then there's this another thing, right, where I just feel this sense of, I just can't measure up, I'm just not good enough. But what God has spoken to me, and I hope will speak to us today, is that failure is not something to be hidden away, something to be ignored or to pretend like it doesn't exist. No, failure is something that drives us deeper into the arms of Jesus. I'm learning that Weakness is actually the place of strength, that an honest awareness of my brokenness is really actually the only path to becoming whole. There is no other journey. There is no other place to grow. Now, last week, if you were here, if you look just above in your Bible, what we looked at was this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's incredible. And in this invitation, he describes his heart. He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. The only time he ever explicitly says, this is who I am inside, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. It's incredible. And that's what this passage is, Matthew 12. He said it right beforehand. Now we're going to experience it. So I, I ain't got nothing fancy for you today. I don't have any cool like, slides or quotes. I don't even really have any points other than I want us to encounter the heart of Jesus. So let's do it. If you've got your Bible open, that would be really good. If you don't, grab one in the pew in front of you. If you want to use your phone, I forgive you. That's okay. You can do that. We're going to look at verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. I love this. It says, at that time. Remember, he's just said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Like, that's what he said. And when he said it, where was he? He was in the grain fields with his disciples, a bit hungry, a bit peckish. You know, he's in the proverbial pantry looking for a midnight snack. He's he's walking through and they're picking off bits of grain with their fingers. I love this because this is a picture of the goodness of God. If you know your Old Testament well, I didn't, I had to look it up, Leviticus chapter 23 verse 25, there's this this beautiful little stipulation that God gives Israel that says, if you are poor, impoverished, hungry, unable to feed yourself, you can walk through anyone's field. Don't take your sickle and like just steal everyone's wheat or anything, but you can go with your, your fingers and just pick some grain. And that, That's God loving the vulnerable, and that's who our God is. The heart of God is such that he looks upon people who don't have everything that they need, who don't have it all together, and he loves them. It's there from the beginning. It's in Leviticus of all places. You know that book that you always give up Bible in a year on? It's there. It's the heart of God is that he loves the broken and the lowly. What I love most is, look at, look at this again, it's Jesus that's in the grain fields. It's Jesus with his fingers picking off wheat because Jesus is impoverished. Have you thought about this? Jesus doesn't own any possessions, except perhaps the clothes on his back. Jesus doesn't have an income or wealth. He's the poor person in this situation. He's the one who, who's just stepped into this lowly position where he's living his life and doesn't have a dollar to his name. It's incredible. And I love this because Jesus doesn't love us from a distance. Jesus doesn't, like, sit back on his throne with all of the world behind him and look at you and go, oh, my gosh, you've got so many problems. The Lord bless you. You know, like, he's not, he's not from a distance just saying, well wishes. My, my prayers are with you. My thoughts and good vibes. No, he's been there. If you've ever been through a dark season and you've been sitting with a friend and they're talking with you. They're encouraging you. There is an incredible difference between a friend who loves you but hasn't experienced what you've experienced and a friend who has been there. Because when they speak, you know that there's weight. You understand that they know what you're feeling. Do you know that Jesus knows what you're going through? Jesus looks upon each of us and he says, I see you because I've been there. And that's the context that he loves us. It's incredible. Then, verse two, the Pharisees. Oh man, those guys, they get such a bad rap, but we're about to give them a worse rap today, so that's fine. Verse two, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The Pharisees, they're like the spiritual elite. They're like, you know, the Rob Curra emceeing us, right? Like, he they're the leaders in church that you can visibly see who embody what it means to serve Jesus. They embody what it means to follow God. When you want to know what it looks like to be righteous, look to the Pharisees. You want to know what it looks like to live a good life? Look to the Pharisees. You want to, you want to understand what it means to be a faithful Jewish man or woman? Look to the Pharisees. And here they are condemning Jesus on, on the Sabbath, which I just can't help but laugh at, like, it takes confidence to look the infinite God in the eye who created the Sabbath and be like, well, you're doing it wrong, bro. Like it's, it's kind of hilarious when you really think about it. And if they really understood who they were talking to, this would be a moment for them, but they don't. They condemn him. We'll talk about this a little bit later, but, but they're effectively condemning him for a rule that they made up, not because of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law... God, we saw it on this puppet show that Rowena did beautifully. God gives a gift in the Sabbath, a day in which you stop doing your work. It's like this is pre weekend, guys. Stop doing your work. You just rest, you nap, you have a feast, you enjoy yourself, and you worship God in your joy. It's incredible. It's this beautiful gift, something I think we need to practice more, but I was told I shouldn't preach too much on that today because there's other stuff, so we'll do a Sabbath talk later, but there's this beauty of what God has given. The problem is that the Pharisees, in their legalistic desire to be like, I am righteous before God, they look at this kind of like beautiful thing of God saying, keep the Sabbath, and they go like, okay, how do I know that I'm doing it? How do I know that I've kept the Sabbath well? How can I be like, yep, tick, tick that box? Well, I don't. So here's what we'll do. We'll come up with a bunch of things that you can, you can't do, the X that you should do, the Y that you shouldn't do, and that way when we can kind of hold it all together, I can go, well, look at me, God. I did it. I kept the Sabbath, right? They're trying to come up with these boundary markers so that they can make sense of something that felt vague, I think because they're insecure. They're aware that they're not enough for God, and instead of owning that and coming to him in in the way that they were meant to, and come to him for mercy. Instead, they're like, "Well, I'll just do it myself." And I think sometimes that's what we do, right? We're going through life. We're not the people that we want to be. We feel insecure, and rather than owning up to that and maybe being real with what's going on under the surface, instead we we just kind of pretend that it's not real, and we put some stuff in place that makes us feel better about ourselves. Well, I'm not as bad as that guy. I didn't kill anyone. Well, not today anyway. You know, like we we find these reasons to make sense of ourselves. I think that's what these guys are doing. But Jesus isn't having it. Jesus pushes back. Verse 3, they're saying like, hey, don't do the Sabbath. He says, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. You can go check this out in 1 Samuel 21 if you want later. That's fine. It's a bit of a weird passage, but basically David and his buds are on the run from Saul. They don't have any food, so they go into the temple, and they're like, hey, priest guy, can we have some bread? And he's like, I don't have any bread except for the sweet, awesome, consecrated stuff that you're not supposed to eat. And he's like, we'll take it. And so they took it. And when you read it in 1 Samuel, you're like, was he supposed to do that? I'm not sure. There's not really like a yes or a no. It just kind of happens. But Jesus is saying here, like, it was against the law, and yet it wasn't a problem. Why? Because look at verse 7. If you had known what these word means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Following the letter of the law is not the purpose of the law. It embodies the goodness and truth and beauty of God in the world. And so God is just right here, being like, this law is not meant to be like guarded perfectly. It's meant to be something that drives us to find mercy in God. You get to verse five, and you've got another example. Haven't you read the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath? That's strong language. And yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. You can find that numbers 28, the priests work overtime on the Sabbath. Why? Because they still have to do their job because worship Sabbath kind of go together but they don't just lay out the sacrifices that they normally would do. They do a double sacrifice on the Sabbath because it's a day of worship. So these guys are working overtime, you know, not really getting paid anything extra, maybe some extra consecrated bread, I'm not sure. And yet Jesus is saying they haven't broke the Sabbath because you've just put these, these random rules and regulations and misunderstood gift from God. You're not getting it, dudes. Verse 6, there's something greater than the temple here. You're looking at him. The temple's the place that you go to find the presence of God. Well, guess what? The presence of God is right in front of you, embodied in a person who's looking at you, speaking with you. And if you just had ears to hear, it would be incredible for you. But that's not how the Pharisees roll. Jesus says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, I'm sure you believe this, but I'm not sure if you feel it, because sometimes I don't. God is not a harsh taskmaster. He's not standing behind you with his arms crossed, being like, oh, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't. That was a dumb decision. Oh, my gosh, well, I wouldn't do that if I was there. Like, that's not, that's not who God is. God, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I think sometimes we're insecure, and we're trying to find reasons to be like, look, this is why I matter. This is why I'm important. This is why this is who I am. I feel like we're in an identity crisis in the 21st century. We're just trying to find things to make sense of who we are. And in doing so, we sometimes don't actually confront the fact that we can't do it on our own. We actually need to come to Jesus and say, I'm not good enough, Jesus. I don't have it all together. Would you love me anyway? And that's the invitation. Says, come as you are. Come as you are. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. It's just about resting in the truth and beauty of Jesus. Like, we feel, we feel tension, right, because you, we do things for God. Like, to love Jesus is to love people. And to belong to church involves commitment and sacrifice and all of that sort of stuff. But I worry that sometimes we... We get the order wrong, where we actually find our sense of self in how we belong to a community at church, or if I can just read my Bible every day and pray every day, I'll feel good about my faith, but when I don't, I feel guilty and shame, and we're actually living in this place where we're not resting in the mercy of Jesus, we're just trying to do sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice so that maybe God might like us or care about us, but that's just so backwards. Jesus says, "'I desire mercy, not sacrifice.'" I don't want you to sacrifice stuff. I want you to love people. In fact, you don't need to do any sacrificing because I'm going to do the sacrifice for you. That's the beauty of these verses. Jesus is the sacrifice so you can have the mercy. It's incredible. But I think a word for for churches, and and I want to apply this to our church, and maybe we need to have a conversation about this, but I worry that churches can sometimes contribute to this problem where we get up the front and we have a sermon. It's like, yeah, Jesus loves you, the heart of Jesus. You don't need to do anything. But then you get down from the pulpit and you come and have a chat. It's like, okay, so you're still serving? You're still serving? You're still giving? You're giving your money? Um, Are you on the roster? You've only come to church twice this month? And it kind of, you get these expectations of what it means to be a Christian. And it's tricky, right? Because we do want to be committed to church. We do want to serve and love people. That's a mark of our faith. But we, we mustn't, ever contribute to a culture where the benchmark of belonging is who you are rather than who he is? And so, look, I don't really have a lot of answers other than starting a conversation that we've got to live in this tension. It's a biblical tension, right? Like only two chapters ago, Jesus said, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He's effectively saying, if you want to be a Christian and follow me, you need to give your life up. You need to be ready to die. right? Like That's a huge cost. It's, there is sacrifice to be a Christian, right? It does involve living your life differently and being willing to let Jesus have it all. And yet, then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You don't need to do anything. All you've got to do is come to me. Just one chapter apart. He doesn't solve the tension. He pushes us into the tension. And so I think this is a moment for us to come back to center Okay, look at who Jesus is. Look at his heart. Look at how he loves us. Yes, there's sacrifice and costliness, but it always comes from the place of I'm resting in Jesus. I have nothing in myself that's worthy or good enough, and that's okay because everything he has is enough for me, right? I think that's the tension, but we've got to live with it. Let's keep talking about it. But then we keep going with the Pharisees, right? They've had this little spat out in the grain fields. And then verse 9, it says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue. So he's come in to go worship, really, to go and participate in the community. And this is where I think I realized that the Pharisees aren't just legalistic. They're evil. So, yeah, I'm going to beat up the Pharisees a bit. Like, they've got dark hearts. They're not... They're not good people. They're not. Why? Because what they do is they try and trap Jesus in the synagogue by saying, um, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Again, one of their rules. You're only allowed to heal someone or help someone on the Sabbath if they're going to die right then and there. If it's something that could possibly wait for tomorrow, it must wait for tomorrow. But Jesus just picks up their hypocrisy. He's like, if any of you had a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, aren't you going to take it and lift it out? Because the rules that they designed allowed them to do that. And the reason that they allowed that to happen but not healing the broken and the vulnerable is because they're self-centred, prideful, and want to guard their possessions and their wealth. A sheep in in an agrarian society was a piece of capital. It it was money. It was was your livelihood. It It was an important part of your wealth. And so they've made stipulations that they can protect their wealth while they leave people suffering and burdened. And that's the distinction they make on the Sabbath. It's, it's just, it's abominable. It's really actually disgusting. It's like if you came to church and you had the pastor come up and be like, okay, well, this person over here, they've got a problem, and that's their problem, but you know what? Let's just give an extra bit of money to these people because it's something that makes me feel good, right? Like, it's, it's just favoritism, and favoritism for themselves, really. It's terrible. But where they really upset me, right? And I only realized they upset me this much this week. They really upset me is they take this, this man with the shriveled hand and they use him as like a disabled piñata. They, like, they, they bring him forward in the synagogue, and they go well, like, what about this guy? And they use him as like a, an opportunity to trap Jesus. They use a disabled man in a society where he could not work, and he belongs to the synagogue. They're in the synagogue. It's like pulling someone up on a wheelchair in church to use them as an illustration to condemn them. It's disgusting. It's terrible. Ugh. Come on, guys. (laughs) This is just ridiculous. These are the people that are supposed to be leading people to God. It's just, it's awful. And as I read all of this, I'm aware that I myself am a leader that God's called to shepherd the flock. And this is my greatest fear. They think they're doing good, they think they're serving God. I think that's a word for all of us. We can get so spiritually blind that we don't even realize how far we've fled from Jesus. They had good theology. They knew their scriptures better than we do, and yet look at what they do. It's terrible. It's awful. Jesus, he does not allow them to do what they do. You get to chapter 23. These are the words that he says to them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you've succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus is not holding back. And so in this instance, when they're trying to trap him, he's like, you know what, stretch out your hand. I love this about Jesus. He's not going to let anyone stop him from doing good, from healing, from loving, from showing mercy, because his heart is for those who are broken. The man stretches out his hand, verse 13, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. And so that's the moment, verse 14, where they're like, okay, well, let's kill him. They tried to help a disabled guy. All right, let's kill him. Pharisees, they're they're more servants of Satan than they are servants of God, but they genuinely think that they're worshiping God, and it's terrifying. It's something I think we've got to all ask ourselves some hard questions. Are we really worshiping the Christ of the Scriptures, the the gentle and humble in heart one who, who embodies mercy and compassion and love? Or perhaps are we living some spiritualized agenda for ourselves? I worry because it's easy to to believe the lies that we tell ourselves. I worry for us because we live on the North Shore where it's so normal to put up your mask. It's like, man, everything's great. It's just going so well. My kids are getting like, they're breaking records in sports and in academia and, and once they helped a kid who fell over, and I i am just getting promotion after promotion, and my bank account's never been better, and you should see my investment portfolio. And then you actually, like, see their life, and it's falling apart. And I don't suggest that that's what we're doing here, but that's the culture that we live in of we must present, we must find our sense of self in having a perfect life. And it starts to just kind of, like, seep into your skin if you live in it too long. You know, when you swim for too long and you start to go pruney? I'm getting pruney with the North Shore, guys. <laughs> I think this is something we need to wrestle with. We need to be the people who are, are willing to confront our brokenness, who are willing to come to a place where we realize we're not as good as we wish we were, because it's only in that place that we can come to Jesus. And what I love is the picture of this man with the, the shriveled hand. You know, when he stretches it out, the, the language is so clear. It was completely restored, completely restored. Just as sound as the other. When we come to Jesus in our brokenness, eyes wide open, he heals us. He makes us whole. Now, some of us have got some stuff going on in life. You're feeling the pain and brokenness of this world, and that's not going to disappear particularly anytime soon, and I'm sorry about that. This isn't talking about a nice prosperity or you're going to have a good North Shore life. It's quite the opposite. Instead, he's saying, everything that matters most, I will make you whole. I'll carry you into eternity to paradise, to life as it was meant to be lived. I just love this. Jesus is just so tender. He's so kind. He's so patient. He's so understanding. This man has been trodden upon, but now he's been loved and made whole, and that's, that's the picture for us. So I don't know what's, what, what's happened in your life. I don't know who you are deep in your soul, but you do. I think Jesus is calling us to come to him, warts and all, Lay it all at the foot of the cross, knowing that it is finished. You don't need to do anything other than come to him. It's incredible. So to finish, I just want to, like, wrestle with this last little bit. If you look down at the bottom of the chapter, not the chapter, the section we read, there's a prophecy that, that kind of just explains who Jesus was going to be. It's incredible. I'll read it for you. It says this. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Justice to the nations. That word justice in the Bible gets your radar up. Because it's about the people who are oppressed and broken and suffering. Why did Jesus come? to bring wholeness to those who are broken. That's who he is. He will not quarrel or cry out. Everyone's expecting them Messiah to come with a sword, try and raise an army and overthrow the Romans. Instead, he just came, just the clothes on his back, and walked to a cross and died. He's humble. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. These reeds, you'd find them beside the river, you'd pull them out, and they're very, very helpful in the ancient world. You'd make your flute, the do you make a rod, you make a pen, everything like that. You would use a reed. The thing with reeds is there's millions of them. So if you had a bruised reed, not completely broken, but just like a bit, uh, bit flat, um, you just chuck it away. It's, it's useless to you. Just go find another one. Jesus says, even the bruised reeds I care about. I don't know if you feel like a bruised reed today. Jesus cares about you. He won't break you. He'll hold on to you. A smoldering wick, have you ever had a candle where it's like the wick gets so small that it starts to like get some black soot up onto your roof? Beck, when she was first um, living out of home, had a candle that she'd left on and she lost her bond because of this soot thing. So now whenever I see a small wick, I'm like, get that out of here. Get that, snuff that bad boy out. Jesus says, I won't even snuff out the smoldering wick. A smoldering, it's useless. Like it actually, it's actually worse than useless. It kind of defeats the purpose of the candle. It's causing damage. And yet Jesus says, I'm not going to snuff you out. If you feel like that, you feel like you're a smoldering wick, Jesus looks at you and he loves you. The last line, in his name the nations will put their hope. He's the one for every person that lives and breathes on this earth who, to find their hope. That's who Jesus is. The heart of Jesus, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants to give you Mercy. Jesus doesn't want you to grit it and bear it and, you know, do things for him without actually like living with him. He just wants you. That's who he is. There's a song we sing at church called, I Come to the Altar. And the first line, I just love this. It's, are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. I don't know if you realize this. Jesus is here in this room right now. The Holy Spirit that fills each believer is the presence of Jesus. He's right here in this room. He sees you. He's been where you've been. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he's calling to you. Just come to me. Come and receive my my life and my freedom and my joy. You don't need to fix yourself. Just come as you are. So I'm going to give us a moment to reflect on that. I'm going to invite the band up. You might notice you might be sitting on one of these cards. About once a term, we like to take a moment just to reflect on what God might be speaking to us. Give us a chance to um, take time to really think about what he's, what he's saying and what He's doing. So, these are a tool for you. I'd really love you to use it. And during the next song, after you fill it out, we'll um, come back around with the bag so you can stick them in. That's just something that we can be praying for you. Um, but I'd love you to take a minute or two just to reflect what is Jesus speaking to you? If you're not already a believer, There's a little box here that says, I'd like to become a Christian. We'd love to walk that journey with you. If you want to find out more, there's a box there. If you're just visiting, we'd love to hear about that anyway because we love you. If you want to get baptized, confirmed, testimony, I'm not sure. But down the bottom there's some lines. I'd love you to just write a couple of things that God might be speaking to you. Why don't I pray? And we'll just take a minute and then we'll sing. Oh, Jesus, you are... So wonderful in all of your character, in the the gentleness in your heart, that with your power and your authority, you could do anything you want, and you choose to use it to love us. God, just pray right now that you would speak the word that we need to hear, that you would convict us or challenge us or lead us to see the things that we need to see in ourselves and just come and bring them to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. We don't deserve it but you give it to us anyway. Amen.